I want you to turn to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 this morning. By the way, you should notice a hint of bravery. I'm back in the Corinthians. Not 1 Corinthians 11, but I'm back in the, I'm back in the region, okay? Inching our way back to 1 Corinthians 11 eventually. <clears throat> This is a text that talks about weakness. Not a theme popular to American people. But in verse 30 of chapter 11, Paul says, I must boast, if I must, I will boast of the things that show my... How many men want to put this on a shirt? If I'm going to boast, I'm going to boast about my weaknesses. This morning I wrestled with a weakness. I, I don't sing well, but I sing pretty loud. Right, Brent? Brent's right there. I mess up the worship team regularly. If they ever make a mistake, just look at me, okay? Because that's what they do. They just like that. But my eyes are closed, so I don't even know, okay? And on Thursday nights, they talk about me. They've never told me this, but I am sure. I am sure, because if I was them, I'd be talking about me. This morning, I... I re- singing, singing some of those truths... I came in touch with a weakness. I, I can't sing that truth loud enough. You can't. Truth like that deserves a megaphone. My weakness this morning as I sought to worship the Lord was a weakness of just, how do you say this loud enough? How do you say it clear enough? I have a strength in my life. I'm pretty good with uh, woodworking. I made this pulpit top. You notice that it's crooked, right? <laughs> There's weakness too. I'm not real good at uh, plumbing. I'm not real good at anything that has to do with metal. Dave Raider's great with metal. I don't get along well with metal. Hard and stubborn is what it is. Yesterday in the morning, I was soldering a tea half-inch copper T to a line. And it was one of those where the solder has to run vertically, you know, like up. I don't know how you get it to do that. It's painful. Drips on your hand. Finally, I got heated enough that I thought, it, I, thought I saw it suck the solder in. They call it sweating a joint. Thought I saw it suck the solder in. Put down a torch. Took a piece, another piece of copper and tapped, and that stupid thing fell right off. My weakness... I have another weakness. My mind tends to drift off. I pick that tea up immediately. <laughs> you think about that. I, you don't know. You, you don't know how scary I am. <laughs> Only I know. Only I know. This morning, my challenge to you is this. Will you trust God with your weaknesses? Will you stop letting your weaknesses and fears immobilize and disable you in your Christian walk? Will you fight to be brave, fully aware of your inadequacies and weaknesses? Will you seek to live to honor God knowing that in your best day you fall short? Will you do that? 
This is a text that focuses on a weakness that was present in Paul's life and the exact nature of it, we don't know. And I think that is intentional. I think God didn't tell us what it is because every one of us would look at the text and say, well, I don't have Paul's weakness, therefore that text doesn't apply to my situation. I think God let it nondescript, intentionally, so that you and I could come and look at this text and learn from Paul what he learns about living with inadequacy and weakness and how he makes adjustments to see the glory of God revealed in his life in spite of his persistent thorn or weakness in his life. Verse 7 says this, it says, To keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassingly great revelations there was given me a thorn in my flesh. A messenger of Satan to torment me. I want to ask five questions to this text this morning. The first one is this. What is the thorn or weakness that Paul experienced in his life? The word in the original text speaks about a sharpened stick or a post that people would literally be impaled upon and left to die. The picture is clearly one of a sharp instrument that gives great pain. Another thought that emerges in the verse is that this thorn is in Paul's flesh, which some will argue that his struggle is relational with the people in Corinth, that his struggle is emotional. I think this text tends to indicate fairly clearly that whatever it is that Paul was wrestling with was a persistent physical issue that drained him of energy and made him weak. It was his thorn in the flesh. I believe it's a physical issue of some kind. Many believe it is an eye problem, malaria-related fevers, something like that, that hounded Paul. In the ancient world, particularly in this region of Asia Minor, uh, malaria and fevers that went along with it were common. They afflicted many people. But in this text, it also becomes clear that this thorn is also described as a messenger of Satan, the immediate cause of his problem. But we also know in the text that God gave it to him, which tells me that this thorn for Paul is ultimately allowed by God. That should stretch your thinking a little bit. A physical problem that somehow Satan amplifies to create weakness in Paul and God in His wisdom and grace allowed this to come into Paul's life. It is for him a constant reminder of his weakness and inadequacy. The end of the verse it says, a messenger of Satan to torment me. That word is in the present tense. It is a regular experience in Paul's life that he is tormented. The word means to buffet the body. It's something that beats him, causes physical pain and weakness that in some way makes Paul feel inadequate in relationship to his God-given calling. He feels like he can't do the things that God wants him to do because the pain is so persistent. This morning, can I ask you this question? What is your pronounced weakness? What is the thorn that God is allowing in your life? To keep you from being exalted and self-sufficient? Is it concern? What is the issue? What is the problem? Is it relational for you? Is it an emotional battle that you're going through? Is it physical limitations? Is it financial constraints? What is the issue that is hounding your life 
today. Because Paul had his. And I love the transparency of Scripture. That it would let us know that Paul struggled with this to a degree. That he would cry out for the mercy of God to remove it from him. Thinking he would be better off without it. That's how serious this was for Paul. The question that comes to mind then is, secondly, why did God allow this weakness, this thorn, to buffet Paul in his life? Why, why would God, in His infinite wisdom, allow that to happen? Why would He be the ultimate cause of that problem in his life? Paul understands. Verse 7, he says, to keep me from becoming conceited. To keep me from becoming full of myself to the degree that I thought that I don't need other people and I don't need God's immediate influence and effect and power in my life. This problem for Paul had a God-exalting purpose. It was to keep Paul low so that God could be lifted high. One writer has made this observation about preachers. He said this, he said a preacher cannot at once, and we're people, okay? So we struggle with things like this. A preacher cannot at once be concerned about how he appears in preaching and at the same time exalt God. Think about that. I can't come here on Sunday morning to do what God has called me to do while thinking about how I'm going to look and how I'm going to come off and simultaneously exalt the Savior. Either I will exalt myself or I will exalt God. Paul says, God gave me this with a God-ordained purpose or plan. Why does Paul have to wrestle with this idea of becoming conceited? Well, I, in, the, in the broader context, it becomes clear that Paul had God-given privileges. It would be easy for Paul, above all others, to feel special. As if he is uniquely empowered by God. Uniquely loved by God. He has been given revelations and tasks that other apostles did not have. He figures prominently into the storyline of the book of Acts, the spread of the early church. And he is profoundly effective. Which is astonishing when you read a text like this. He is effective while he is carrying a burden, while he lives with a thorn, something in his side. And the picture of this word is something that turns and causes persistent pain, distraction, and therefore a lack of effectiveness. Paul says this problem has a God-exalting purpose. That's why God allowed it. What are the things that could make Paul proud? Look at verse 22 of chapter 11. Now just, I, I can only point out a couple of these because of the constraints of time. He says, what anyone else dares to boast about, I am speaking as a fool. Now, why does he say that? Because Paul, when he's talking about his credentials, feels stupid. If Paul had a business card, he would not have an A with a period on it saying, I am an apostle. He wouldn't put it on there. He, this, he, he says, this talking about my credentials feels somewhat foolish. It feels strange. But he knows that what's happening is people are questioning his credentials, his call from God. And so Paul says, I'll demonstrate to you that I am God called, but I want you to know that as I'm doing this, it feels strange. Here's what he says. Are they Hebrews? My critics. So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? And then he says this, and you just got to love this. He says, I am out of my mind to talk like this. 
There's a fear in, in laying out his credentials and defending his God-given call. Paul feels a strange tension that somehow they may come out of this description of who he is and make life about Paul rather than about God. That's his fear. So he lists first just these basic credentials that he has nothing to do with. They are birthrights. And Paul is conscious of that. These are privileges that God gave him by virtue of birth. Also, he has experiences of suffering for Christ, 23 through 29. A, a, a list that if we, look, if we find someone, a missionary, a preacher who has experienced suffering or someone who has experienced the loss of a child in their life, we exalt them to high positions, don't we? We put them on a pedestal. I have never heard a story that compares to the story of the Apostle Paul in these verses. He has every reason to feel self-exalted and strong for God. Look at verse 23. He says, I am more, I have worked much harder, I have been in prison more frequently. I have been flogged more severely and been exposed to death again and again. And then in verse 24, he gives details. These are things that if Tim Hoff had been through them, I would be so proud of my accomplishments. He says, five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one, which means 39. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned in Lystra to the point where they thought he was dead. And he was left for dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open ocean. Why, Paul? For the cause of Christ. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, in the danger of false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face the daily pressure burden of my concern for all the churches. Folks, I want to tell you something. If someone had a reason to say, hey, Paul's here, Paul had reason to say that. If anyone had a reason for exaltation and pride and confidence in himself, Paul had it. And I think that's critical to understanding why God gave him this problem. The problem had a God-exalting purpose to keep Paul low so that God could be high in his life because it can't be both ways. But also, this problem from God was a protection for Paul. It was, a kind, it was kind of God to kill his pride, which feels so good, so justifiable, and yet is, before God, so very ugly. It is a kind act of God to keep us low and God-exalting in our lives. This problem was for Paul a protection. Rick Warren puts it this way. He says, our God does not waste a hurt. He does not allow a pain to come into your life that does not have a God-exalting purpose. Paul could look at this and say, God brought this. Yes, Satan was involved in it, but the ultimate cause is that God allowed this to happen in my life, and he had a very specific purpose for it. So, what is the thorn? It's a deep, painful, physical experience. Why did God allow it? so that God would be exalted in his life and to protect Paul from pride. Third, what was Paul's initial response? And I think this is crucial to understanding this text. What was Paul's initial response to the thorn in the flesh that God gave him? How did he respond? Verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Okay, here's a question for you. 
Does that verse describe you? When God allows trouble to come into your life, what is your response? I know mine. Get it on the prayer list and get it out of here as soon as possible. Very seldom are we so God-trusting and God-exalting that we go to God and say, God, these are the circumstances that you have allowed me to be in by your sovereign plan. Show me why. Are you protecting me? Is there a purpose that I need to understand in this problem, pain, circumstance in my life? Are you letting my child struggle for a reason? Have you not blessed us with children for a reason? Why are we struggling so much financially? Instead of always praying for an instantaneous, immediate solution. We need to learn to trust God. But Paul's just like us. He begged for release. In a sense, what is Paul saying? God, I would be better off and more effective without this problem. Isn't that what he has to be saying? I begged God three times that he would take it away from me. Implication is clear. My effectiveness is being limited by this problem that you've allowed to come into my life. Folks, let me, let me, let me illuminate you in one area if you've never thought of this. When you pray and you say, God, here's what's happening in my life, God is not in heaven saying, you're kidding. He, you have never informed God of something that he was unaware of. You have never given him insight into something in your life that he didn't have already. He never says, oh, I never thought of that. And so when Paul goes to God, I, God, I, I, I just imagine God's like, uh-huh, 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 yeah. Paul's like, come on, Lord. three times. He begs God, give me deliverance so that I can get back to doing what I love to do for you. Why is Paul perplexed by the weakness? Why does he reject it? I think this, he came, it came into his life at a time of obedience. It came into his life at a time of great sacrifice. Think about that. Isn't that when you go to God and say, okay, God, get that out of here so I can keep going for you? Why does Paul ask for release? Because he misinterpreted the problem. I'm seeing if I can get you a new song sung next Sunday, Carmel. Okay. It's called God Moves. And in it, it says this. God is his own interpreter. You ever feel like when you're praying, you're like, you're giving God insight into things that he's probably not fully aware of. Do you ever feel like that in your praying? Telling God why it would be good for the problem to be gone? Why it's not good that it's present in your life? How ineffective, ineffective and inadequate it makes you feel. And God's not going, oh, I never knew you felt that way. He knows us so well. Is Paul's struggle with weakness unusual? Is it rare? Or does it in fact sound familiar? I would argue that it sounds familiar in the words of my Savior. In Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 41. The Savior in His flesh anticipates the thorn in His side. The thorns on His brow. And in His physical flesh, He cries out the Father, for what? If it's possible, take this cup from Me. 
Does that startle you? That the one who came from eternity to pay the price for your sin was startled, was troubled by the prospect of the cross and in his flesh sought release. So your attempt to escape your problem, your weakness, is not unusual. It's something Christ in his flesh went through. He is, the Bible says, intimately acquainted with our ways. Oh, you say, well, what about rejection? Oh, he knew that. He knew what it was be, to be betrayed by his dear friend, Judas. He knew what it was to be denied, not by an apostle, not by a disciple, but by Peter, the rock. He's the one who turned his back on Christ. He knows what it is to seek release from the pain. Can you identify with Paul's response to weakness and trouble? Will you this morning identify and say, God, that's me? Number five. What is God's reply to Paul's request? Verse nine. You can do this in two ways. You can put in one word. God's response to Paul is, no, I won't take it away. And in an extended version, he says, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. You think your effectiveness is limited by the pain. I disagree. I beg to differ. I think I have a better perspective than you have, Paul. Folks, are you humble enough before God that when he gives you an answer that you don't want, that you are willing to bow your knee before God? And say, God, I accept this. I accept this. This weakness, this thorn, this trouble that persistently hounds and buffets me. Just think about this. If it's better that I live with it, then so be it. Isn't that what Jesus said? Father, let this cup pass. Take this from me. Not my will. That's the qualifier on all prayer. Not what I want, God. What you want. Not my plan, your plan. Isn't that the essence of the Lord's Prayer? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Isn't that the beginning of effective prayer? Isn't that the beginning of an effective response to a thorn, to a problem, to a weakness in your heart, in your life, to pain? God's response to Paul is no. And it is his final answer. When he says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Here's literally the way that this sounds. It's in the perfect tense. These words come with a statement and then an abiding effect. It's in the perfect tense in the Greek. Paul, my grace is enough and will continue to be enough for you in your time of struggle. It is enough and it will remain enough because I have ordained it for that purpose. Think about that, folks. Whatever circumstance God is allowing you to live in today, He has grace enough. My grace is sufficient. The word that I like in there is, my grace is enough, Paul. It's adequate. It's up to the task. It will meet your need in your struggle. It is from me. And it has a God-given purpose. I asked this question then this morning. Did God answer Paul's prayer? Paul said, 
take this from me. Three times. And I am sure it was out of fervency, out of deep pain, out of a deep sense of inadequacy and weakness. Three times. And God gave Paul an audible so that the issue would end there. Paul, I don't want you wasting any more time on this. My grace today is sufficient. My grace tomorrow will be the same as it is today. It is perfectly adequate to meet you where you are and to get you through your problem. Paul, I'm enough. I'm enough. It is from me. Paul gets an answer to his prayer, but it's a negative. Last question I want to ask this morning is this. What was Paul's, and this is just neat, because now you start to see there's a, the, the beginning of the storyline, this thorn, there's the tension that rises. He goes to God who can solve his problem and asks for God to eliminate it, and then there's this resolve. No, Paul. My grace is sufficient for you. How does Paul then respond to this no from God? How does he respond? Look at verse 9, second half, and following. And you just, if you circle words in your Bible, circle these words that are connections. Therefore, in light of God's grace being enough, persistently, consistently enough, in light of that, this is the answer I have from Christ. Therefore, I will more eagerly, just think about this now, I will eagerly boast in my weakness. I will be not okay. You know, kind of that peeved acceptance, that reluctant acceptance that a teenager gives to their parents. No, you can't go out, okay. Is that Paul's attitude with God? Okay, God. Think about this God-exalting humility. Therefore, God, I will glory in my weakness. The word literally means I will gladly boast in my weakness. Folks, that is freedom. That is freedom. If you live resenting your God-ordaining, God-protecting weakness, you will live a disappointed life. It is the glory of God to look it in the face and say, God, if that is best, I will gladly accept it as a kind gift from you. That is a stunning resolve. It is an unexpected resolve to this tension that is present in Paul's life. And so what is the adjusted response? Let me just give this to you real quickly. Number one, I will embrace, and and could you say this in your own heart to God? I will embrace my weakness and trust you gladly. In fact, isn't that what this boils down to? Do I trust the God who says no when I ask him to release me from pain? Do I try? I think that is the fundamental question of this text. Do you trust God, Paul? Uh Can you ask that question? Can you ask that question honestly? Paul, do you trust God? Oh, yes. I would gladly boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Folks, I don't know what your issue is today. I don't know what the thorn, I don't know what the pain-causing circumstance in your life is today, but I know this. Either you have one, you're coming out of one, or you're going in to one. How will you respond? Paul says, I will embrace this weakness 
and trust you gladly? Have you ever thought of your, your problems as a blessing? Because Paul did. Paul did. Paul looked at this problem and said, God, I gladly receive this. Let it do your gracious and kind work in my life. And I believe there's, there is a sense here. Paul says, I'll receive it gladly. I will receive it, God, as an expression of your undying love for me. Because it's what I need, and in your kindness, you allowed it to come. I think of Job, who finally comes to a resolve with God in the midst of his pain, and he says, though he slay me, I will what? I'll trust him. Folks, that's the response to weakness that honors God, Jesus in the garden, not my will, but thine be done. The lesson I think that we learn in this response is that the initial response of obedient believers may be inaccurate. I may misinterpret the circumstance and need the help of God to see it for his purpose. Paul says, I'll embrace my weaknesses and trust you gladly. Secondly, I will be brave in you because you alone make me strong. I will be brave in you because you alone make me strong. Look what he says, <clears throat> end of verse 9, end of verse 10. I will embrace my weakness gladly so that Christ's power may rest upon me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. Do you see the explanation for weakness there? Do you see how the theme of thorn, weakness, is expanded? into every area of Paul's life. He is so committed to glorifying God in his response to pain that he's saying this, God, whatever it takes to glorify your name through my life, I accept it. Folks, may we come to a place, may God bring us to a circumstance in our lives that we will look at and say, God, this is the circumstance that alters my perspective for the rest of my life. Let be, this be the place where my perspective towards pain and suffering is changed forever. I will gladly rejoice in it if you allow it to stay in my life. And folks, let me say this. What I am talking about is not a psychological switch. And I am not saying that something stuck in someone's side is not painful. Okay, it's, it's, it's unwise when Christians say, well, just deny the pain. Somebody says, you just say you don't have cancer. Don't let someone tell you you have cancer. That to me is foolishness and stupidity. Wisdom is saying, God, I trust you so much that if I have cancer, I accept it from you. Folks, do you live an anticipated life? I try to. In, in, in one area specifically, I try to live an anticipated life. I know that given the age of my parents and my in-laws, that one day, I believe in the not far future, I will probably get that phone call someone's sick, someone suddenly. I, I live saying, God, when that comes, because it will, apart from your return, make me strong. Don't let me fall down. Don't let my kids see a dad who has weak, anemic faith. Let them see someone who embraces their weakness so that the power of God may rest upon me. And the result is that for the sake of Christ, we embrace it and receive it for His glory. Does that make sense? Trouble's coming. In this world, Jesus said, you will have tribulation. You will have weakness. You will have disturbing circumstances. 
You will lose your job. You will have financial downturns in your life. What Paul is saying is, I embrace it for the sake of Christ. Why? Because I live in a world that's watching believers saying, is their faith real? Does it make a substantive difference in their life? That's what they're asking. Paul says, I will be greater than you because you, God, make me strong. My limitations, my weaknesses, and my inadequacies do not limit what God can do in my life. Think about that. That's why Paul wanted it out, isn't it? God, if you take it, then I'll be free. And I'll be more effective and more able to serve you. And God says, Paul, I don't think so. I think you're better with it. And Paul says, I think you're right. I think you're right. My one friend, his daughter always says to him, you're probably white, Dad. You're probably right. Can you just go to God with eyes of faith and say, God, you're probably right. But help my unbelief. Help my desire to have this thorn removed. Help me to be comfortable with it because I see the purpose and protection that it brings in my life. Your limitations do not limit what God can do through your life. And lastly, Paul's response is this. God, kill my self-exalting pride, my tendency to be conceited that you so wisely diagnosed. See, this is a tough one. The answer that God gives to Paul is, you know what, Paul? I, watch this, or fall down. I have to get someone to rebuild it strong, okay? With metal, Dave, okay? Do it with metal. Paul says, God killed my self-exalting pride so that God, so that Christ may be glorified in my life. God accurately diagnosed a tendency in the Apostle Paul's life to be self-sufficient. He chose an adequate man, and adequate men need weakness in their life. Friend, this morning, especially men, can I ask you, what is the weakness that God, what is the inadequacy that God, by His grace, has brought into your life as a protection to kill God belittling pride in your life? What is it? And would you say, God, I trust you. I trust you. Paul sees it as kindness from God. The Psalms say he is near to the brokenhearted. He comforts those who are crushed in spirit. James 4, verse 6, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to those who are humble. When weakness is pronounced and magnified, Paul says, I am strong. Verse 10 concludes, That is why for Christ's sake I delight in my weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, I am strong. I, let that settle in. God, bring me to a place of weakness in your wisdom so that I can be strong for your glory. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?